Well, it looks like it's 2 o'clock on my watch anyway. So um, we want to welcome you to an unlikely forum. Um, Ten years ago, this forum wouldn't even exist because pretty much people weren't that familiar with things that we're going to talk about. I mean, some of the things, yes, but not some of the main things. So I've asked Barry to open with a prayer, and then we'll start. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can be together here, and we ask that you would bless all those who are here at camp this week, especially those of the staff and those that make this week happen, Lord. And, and now we would pray your blessing and presence with us as we would learn about the various challenges and, and difficulties that life sometimes brings to us. We pray, Lord, that we could learn about these things and better understand those who are in need of special care. And Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, basically, what I wanted to do with this forum, and I really thought that, you know, as a church, we needed to have a forum on some mental illnesses and problems like that um, before they became a part of my life. And um, it just so happened that this year, um, Rob invited us, Katie and I, to do something to that effect because in, you know, um, in God's long range of things that he puts in our plate, he started me out in a nursing career <clears throat> um, in a place I didn't belong in labor and delivery. That's where my mother belonged. But I scored higher in psych issues on the, on the boards, and so I decided that psychiatric care was where I was going. Um, in the meantime, one of my jobs was at Syracuse Developmental Center where we had nothing but handicapped residential people there, kids, adults. Um, one of them, David, became my first child. Um, before we even had Jason, I would bring him home with me. And um, he had multiple disabilities, not just mental ones, but also physical ones because his mother had been a drug addict and she had thrown him down the stairs and so he had a brain injury besides. He was blind. Um, and he just was a perpetual infant, but we loved him. Later in life, um, God brought me another little boy with autism. I was blind at the time, and I wasn't working, and um, met his grandmother at, of all places, a horse show, and she said, I have a grandson with autism. We're looking for somebody with ponies to do some therapeutic work with him, with David, or with Ryan, and um, would it be okay if my daughter brought Ryan out to your farm? To visit. And so Ryan became a part of our life and we found him a pony and Ryan's first word was up. He wanted to sit on the pony. And he would lay on her back. He would sit, first start sitting and then he just would ease himself back and lay across her back and smile. And his mother said, he's seven years old. He's never smiled. Once he became two and a half, he lost all language, he lost all emotion, he lost everything and the pony was helping Ryan get that back. And I knew then that God was going to give somewhere in our life, in our children, God was going to give us a child with an autism spectrum disorder. And sure enough, he did. And so we have Robbie. And I, I went to an autism walk about a, a month and a half ago, and I met a mother there. Now, autism is, is more rare in the African-American community than it is in the Caucasian community. Um, a couple of statistics I'm going to give you. Um, there are, out of every 100,000 children, five girls with autism, or an autism spectrum. It, it's not just uh, you are severely autistic to you are okay. There's a whole range of things in between, Asperger's being one of them, and that's what Robbie has. Um, five in a hundred out of a hundred thousand girls and one boy in every 94 children. <clears throat> um, ASD or autism spectrum disorder is occurring more and more frequently and they're finding it in kids um, who are now in who are in their teens and 20s who were labeled delinquents because they couldn't pay attention 
who couldn't control their anger issues, who couldn't deal with a lot of things. And these are the kids that they're finding now in juvenile hall more and more and more, about 95% of those kids have been diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. Usually with autism or an autism spectrum disorder, um, well, Katie looked up what is the definition of special needs. A special need is the inability to learn, eat, work, sleep, and play, I think, mm -hmm. without help. Like they cannot do it by their own faculties. So it's eat, sleep, learn, work, and play. And that encompasses a lot of things from autism spectrum disorder into the, the young adult years. You find kids who are on the ASD range coming up with problems with major depressive disorders, with bipolar disorders, that's highs and lows, um, either one or the other, or, or mood swings, great mood swings, or um, even to the point of some schizophrenia as a result of it. And we're talking about kids um, who have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, becomes a part of this. Often Tourette syndrome becomes a part of this. Um, and you have kids that you just, you know, some of us who would see these kids misbehaving would say, gee, I wish those parents would get control of those children. Well, those parents are working really hard to be in control of those children. And sometimes it takes years and years and years for the right thing to show up um, that's going to help those children. And same, you know, the theme carries all the way through from, from the kids with autism spectrum disorders, OCD, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, ADHD, um, ADD. They, I mean, they've, they've got a million sensory processing disorders. Um, those are all kinds of things that go with it. And then the schizophrenia and the bipolar disorder and the extreme anxiety disorders, those usually kick in about 18, 19, 20. Um, I worked at Benjamin Rush Psychiatric Center in Syracuse. Brilliant, artistic, musical young people coming out of Syracuse University after having a single episode break are schizophrenic. They hear, have auditory, or, you know, they hear command to, to harm people or harm property. Um, they, and, and nothing was wrong until that 19, 20, 21, 22 age group. So they may have had some of the problems and some of the disorders that the other kids have had. Not saying that every child with autism spectrum problems are going to become schizophrenic. I will, I will venture to pretty much guarantee that 90% of them are going to deal with major depression. Robbie, at six years old, <clears throat> before he got the right medication, was an extremely depressed child. He would cry all the time. It's really sad to see a little boy go to his room and cry because life is so awful for him and school is so painful for him and kids are making fun of him. They don't understand what his problems are, but by the same token, because he has the sensory issues that he has, if his pant legs are not the same length on both legs, he would have a meltdown. He couldn't wear long pants with not, without shoes and socks because his, the top of his pants touched his feet and that felt wrong. Um, children with sensory problems, um, they can't handle hot food, they can't handle cold food, everything has to be lukewarm. Certain colors bother them. And already when Robbie was two, in the car we had to put sunshades up because he would say, make God turn the sun off, it's too bright, it's too bright, make him turn the sun off. Or we'd see him stand somewhere with his hands over his ears because it was just what was normal to us was extremely loud and painful in his ears. And the things that we saw from when he was very, very young that we thought were bizarre behaviors, like if he would have a meltdown and cry and he would, 
this is really gross. He it would blow snot out of his nose and then wipe it all over his head. Why he did that, we don't know, but he, he did it at camp. I had him at camp here when Katie was pregnant with Lizzie, and we didn't know what was going on with him, but he was upset, and that's how he handled his, his thing. You know, and the behaviors that they do that annoy us the most, they're doing because they're trying to get control of their space and control of what's happening around them because they can't think otherwise. It's like they're overstimulated with too much of everything so they can't focus. The same thing with in school. You've, you've got to, if you've got a child in school and he's really struggling and the teacher says, well, you know, he can't sit still or he's, you know, chucking erasers at another kid or, you know, refusing to do his work. That was another thing that Robbie did for a long time was he would just refuse, sit in his desk and say, I'm not doing it. Or he'd start to take a test. The first question he didn't understand, so I'm not doing the whole rest of the test. He may know all the other answers, but because he got stuck on one, he couldn't do the rest. And he would fiddle with pencils, and he would, he just, he got sent to the principal's office a lot for defiant behavior. This is not a defiant child. If you would know Robbie, you would know that he is the most loving, most giving, most wonderful natured little boy. Not defiant, but that he could not process what he was hearing. And, you know, I think about the verse in the Bible where they went to Jesus and they said, who sinned this man or his parents that this man was born blind? And believe it or not, we have some people in the ACC churches with real archaic thoughts still that these behaviors, mental illness of any kind, is a result of either possession, demon possession, or um, that, you know, there's sin in the child's life or the parent's life or whatever, and this is a punishment from God that these people are like this. And that's not the case at all. I have a bumper sticker from the autism walk. Believe it or not, this fat grandmother walked three miles <laughs> in an hour and ten minutes for my grandson. Um, and I crossed the finish line just because Robbie said, Nanny, you have to finish. And Asperger's children are all about rules. If you can make the things you want them to do follow a rule, they do it. Because everything is black and white. Everything goes by the rules. I sent out some questionnaires to some people. Um, one mother with a daughter with Asperger's and a couple of other children with other issues, or a daughter with autism. Um, and I asked her different questions. You know, first was, when was the diagnosis made for your child or your family member? Um, how did the schools help you? What did you hope, what, what would you see as a way that the school could have better helped your child? Um, these kids are all in mainstream education. You have to fight absolutely fight. Katie knows. We've been through this, fighting the school system, trying to get Robbie the help he needs. Um, there, there is so much that is a blessing. I got a bumper sticker from that walk that says, God chose me to be inspired by a child with special needs. And as Christians, we need to think of it in those terms. We need to find a way that we can be inspired by the person who has the special needs, whether it's an autistic child, a child with Asperger's, a child with Tourette's. Robbie has Tourette's. He used to bounce like this all the time. And, and the more stressed he'd get, he'd blink his eyes and he'd bounce. Fortunately, God created a medication that at first I didn't want him to take because it's a very high-powered antipsychotic medication. And all the other regular, you know, for hyperactive kids, the Ritalins and the, the other things that we tried for Robbie, didn't work for him at all. They made him worse or they made him extremely sad. One of the side effects of a lot of these medications is adolescent suicide in these children because they are just overwhelmed with sadness because they don't fit in. And, and Robbie's not at the age yet where he notices that he's different. He can tell you he has Asperger's. 
and he can even tell you a little bit what it is. But he's not at the point where he's 15 or 16 and the kids are making fun of him because he's got facial grimaces and because, you know, when you talk to him, you can't, they don't get innuendos because it's not a blanket statement. You know, you can't tell a joke. Uh, Robbie's great with knock-knock jokes because they follow a rule, you know. But general jokes, he doesn't get it. So it goes over his head, and he thinks you're telling him a story, a real truth of, of something else. Um, another gentleman that, that um, I became acquainted with recently because of Robbie's Asperger's is an adult with Asperger's. And when he was Robbie's age, he's in his 40s, when he was Robbie's age, nobody knew what to call it. They just knew he was weird. So the best his family could do was say, we know you're different, but we're going to support you in any way we can and help you. And he was brilliant. Math and science, extremely brilliant. Robbie is like that. Those are his favorite things. He likes to talk about math and science. And, and this um, other gentleman as well. But people, when you communicate, communication is the big problem with all of these disorders, whether it's autism, Asperger's, any of the mental disorders in middle life, um, Alzheimer's, dementia, communication breaks down. That's the biggest problem in all the disorders is you have to learn a different way of communicating with the people with these problems. At the other end of the spectrum, we have the people with Alzheimer's. That is, the way that works in the brain is, um, is different than dementia. Uh, with Alzheimer's, there's areas of the brain that decrease in size or that that become hardened and don't work. And it not only affects their thought process and their cognition, it also affects their body functions. They can't swallow. Um, they get to the point where swallowing goes away and speech goes away and bowel and bladder control go away, while a person with dementia can be 95 years old and still have all of those faculties in control, but have no clue who they are, where they are, um, somewhere they're stuck in their past. Um, and we deal with those folks different. Uh, right now I'm taking care of a couple, an elderly couple, 92 and 93 years old. He has Alzheimer's, she has dementia. Yet they carry on conversations with each other that make no sense to us, but they make sense to them. And you kind of have to meet, meet them where they are. They have good days and they have bad days, just like the children with, alt, with uh, Asperger's and autism. They have good days and they have bad days. Bad days are many meltdown days. And in the beginning, before we knew what it was, discipline was different. You know, Robbie was getting in trouble, right, Katie? A lot, getting spanked a lot, getting hollered at a lot, and he couldn't help it. His behavior didn't change because the process of how he understood the discipline was not the same as it would have been me that was being disciplined or if it had been me disciplining my child. Their concept of all of that is totally different. Um, I asked the people that I sent the questionnaire to, how would you like your family to better help you in, with these special needs? And living with a child or with an adult parent who is mentally compromised is exhausting. No matter how you look at it, no matter how much you love them, no matter what you do for them, no matter how much you pray, it's still exhausting. And, you know, thank God that Robbie is better. And Robbie is a very enjoyable child to be around. And finally, the last quarter of school, the medicine kicked in. And he's able to sit, and he's able to complete, and he's able to do what he needs to do for his work. The child took four tests and got every question on the test right. He's never done that before. He's never completed a test before the medications. So those of us in, in this circle of people who think medicine is bad and, you know, things you should be able to just pray the behavior away. God should just take care of it and pray the behavior away. Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. It probably was his eyes. But 
It could very well have been a mental disorder, a depression, a whatever that doesn't go away. I learned when Robbie, before Robbie was born, and we knew that he had a hygroma. And being the nurse that I am, I looked up everything I could find about cystic hygroma in children. And I thank God every day that he's here because most of the male children with hygromas die in utero by 20 weeks. They're gone. And if that would have been the case with Robbie, we would miss all this joy that we have with him. You know, and you don't know what it's like until he runs up to you yelling your name, Nanny, I love you more than my life. These children with autism spectrum disorder, everything is black and white. He means every single word he says from the bottom of his heart. He's truly like the child in the Bible when Jesus said, unless you become like one of these little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. If we all could be, have Asperger's and be like Robbie, it would be wonderful. The world would be a, a great place because they don't understand the concept of war either. You know, why should people be killing each other? They're people. We're people, they're people, they look a little different, they're still people. It's black and white. If more people in the world were disabled, like our child is disabled, and even the, the adult gentleman that I talked to, he, he can't understand a lot of concepts. If it's not black and white, if it's not... But he said to me, another question I asked for the, the parents with teenage kids who had problems, or, and, and with Paul, who's an adult. I said, how does your disease process affect your spiritual life? And he said to me, in one way, it makes it much easier to be a Christian because everything is black and white. If it says it in the Bible, it's so, and you just do it. God is God. He's been here. He's always been here. He will always be here from now on, so everything he put in that book is right. You follow the map in the book, and you're good to go. And that's true. Sometimes we over-study, over-rationalize um, the things in the spiritual world, and the things, and, and we try too hard to, how can I work to be a Christian? What do I need to do to be a better Christian? How can I... You know, I've got to do something. I've got, it's got to be my, of myself. But a child and an adult with Asperger's and autism spectrum disorder, they know nothing is in themselves. Everything is out here. They have to create inside for themselves, sometimes in order to get through life. Paul says the hardest thing he does every single day is talking to people face to face. Because a child or an adult with an autism spectrum disorder Seldom can look you in the eye. Even Robbie doesn't always look you in the eye. He'll come and give you a hug, but he'll look past you. Because they cannot read. In a conversation amongst each other, we automatically kind of read each other's body language. One stands with their arms crossed, and the other person in the conversation will stand with their arms crossed. One will cross their leg over, and the, the next person will do it the same way. Because that's how we interact with people. We watch eyes and, and body language and things like that, and we can read that. Whereas a child or an adult with an autism spectrum disorder can't process that. They don't get the signals. There's something missing up here in the synapses in your brain that just they don't get the signal. So they have to rely on what you are saying. Just like the Alzheimer's folks, and the dementia folks, you have to be clear in what you're saying. If you want them to do something, you have to just very clearly spell it out. Go to that chair, sit down, whatever, with the older folks. With, with the, the younger folks with, with the um, obsessive compulsive stuff that's going on, a lot of times you try to Stop them from the behaviors. They may have to wash their hands 25 times a day. They may have to shut that door six or seven times a day. I know one fellow who has to, when he leaves his house, he goes to the door, and he's got rugs in his hallway, and the rugs all have fringes on it, and he has to make sure that every single one of those threads is straight before he can go out the door. Because if he doesn't, 
he has to come back in and do it. These are things that interfere with their activities of daily living. You can have a real high-functioning person in a business. The president of the business can be a person who has an obsessive-compulsive disorder. Their desk is going to be absolutely perfectly nothing out of place. The whole office is going to be absolutely perfect, nothing is out of place. Except whatever is their one tick that they have, that's what they're going to you know, play with a pencil or pen on the desk all the time. One of the things that they wanted to do for Robbie in school so he could sit through a class and focus was put rubber bands on the legs of his chair so he could strum the rubber band with his foot. Because somehow, if he was actively doing something with his foot or with his fingers, he could complete the task. And we have to, those of us who have these people in our family, in, in our immediate family and in our church family, we have to appreciate them for who they are, understand why they do the things that they do. Some of them, you can get them into a different behavior. Some of the more severely autistic kids, you have to refocus their attention. You have to give them something else to do. You have, a lot of times they are very disruptive in a Sunday school situation. And you have to have another person to be able to take that child out for a walk or something else. Uh, Robbie plays t-ball. And he's pretty good at it. But sometimes, if he strikes out, he has a meltdown. And one of the other coaches has to take him out of the box and take him for a walk and then bring him back again before it's time for him to bat again, and then he's OK. So if you know somebody who has those issues and you need to remove them for a short time from the situation, same thing at school. If Robbie would get removed to another teacher's classroom until he could calm himself down, then he could come back to the classroom again. But for most of the year, he was sitting in the principal's office. And the principal was talking, apparently, to other people. And Mr. Llewellyn is a very nice man. But somehow, these children with autism spectrum disorders, they have really good ears. <laughs> and they hear everything that's going on around them. And they wonder, does it pertain to them? Well, he came home one day, and he said to us, they don't want me at school anymore. And he was sad. This was before the new medicine. He said, they just don't want me at school anymore because they don't know what to do with me. They don't want me at school anymore. That child should have never heard that in a principal's office. Now his mother has to be a mother bear and go and fight for him. But finally, the last week of school, they decided Robbie is an OK kid to have at school. In all the meantime, he's wondering why he's not good enough, why he, he has friends, but he only has certain friends, because these are the friends that don't make fun of him because he can't bounce a ball. That's also typical of children on the Asperger's uh, level and the autism spectrum. Even from the very almost completely normal end, they are clumsy. They're not able to do, you would think that because they rock and they do all this rhythmic stuff that they ought to be able to bounce a ball. But that's hand-eye coordination that they don't have. He needs a slant board to write in school because a child with the problems that he has has no muscle memory. When we write, you know in the old days, they don't do this anymore, but in the old days, 100 years ago when I went to school, we had writing books and you just made loops and loops and loops and loops and loops on one page, then you turn the page, and then you added something else to that, to that loop to learn how to write cursive. They don't even want to teach cursive in school anymore. But a child with, on the autism spectrum has no muscle memory to write. Every letter he writes, he's drawing a picture. That's how he sees it in his head. So his words are not spaced like words are supposed to be spaced. Because every single letter is a chore because he is looking at that letter and thinking it's a picture. And at 40 years old, he's going to do the same thing because that's the process that how his brain functions. That's where the serotonin levels in his brain interfere with the other stuff that is supposed to work. And Paul says he has the same problem. Writing is hard for him. Writing will always be hard for Robbie. 
but somehow we need to make sure that Robbie knows he has enough positive things going for him, that the help is going to be there, and we hope it will be, that he's going to be able to stay in the mainstream and work his way to an employable level as an adult. And most of you, when you see Robbie, you don't even think there's anything wrong with him. You haven't lived with him during his meltdown years. Those of us who have see an enormous improvement in him. And that's because God made it possible that men could create medicines that can help these people where they're at. And the, the adults with OCD, there's good medicines too. You can't be afraid to go and get help. You can't think every psychiatrist is bad. You can't automatically think that if this is not normal, therefore, you can't just always pray it away. We'd like to. Um, you know, Annette has had her daughter anointed and prayed over by the elders and exercised at one point. Now, Natalie is way, way, way more severe than most autistic kids that I know, and she's aggressive in her autism, and she has tried to hurt her parents. And the hardest thing for a parent to do is to say to the police, come and get my child, and take them to lockup for a while until they get the medication they need again. Because a lot of people, and not talking just about Natalie, but a lot of people with mental disorders, particularly the schizophrenia disorders, and the manic depressive disorders, when you're on the medicine and you're feeling really good, you go, I don't need my medicine anymore. I feel great. Let's not take it anymore. And in about six weeks when that medicine is out of your system, you're back to having auditory hallucinations again. You become aggressive towards people that you know and love, aggressive towards people that you don't even know because you stopped taking the medicine. The medications come from God too. They're not a bad thing. They're not giving, giving in to the disease process because of the diseases are caused by enzymes that are missing in your brain. Sometimes it's as a result of a drug-induced psychosis and you can stay, you can have problems for the whole rest of your life because you screwed up as a kid and ate magic mushrooms or you know whatever smoke too much pot. These things are going to affect your brain as an adult. And if we could get every, every teenager that we know to talk to some of these people who have these problems, they wouldn't do drugs anymore because the bad effects do not go away. They stay with you forever. They stay with you forever. And it, it's also starting to be proven that people who have... Um, severe head trauma like these soldiers who are coming back from Iraq who have all of these severe brain injuries, there may be healing from those injuries for the time being, but they are showing to be two times more likely to suffer from Alzheimer's by the time they're in their mid-50s because of the changes in the brain as a result of the head injuries. So somewhere in all of our lives, are people like this. Sometimes we don't want people to know that. Sometimes the person who has the illness doesn't want other people to know that. They're ashamed of it. There is no more shame to a mental illness than there is to being a diabetic, especially a non-compliant one. Who's in worse shape? Me or the person with a mental illness who's taken medicine that they're supposed to take? We can't, as a church, judge people because they have schizophrenia or they have, they have uh, you know, and even the, the minor things like the obsessive compulsive disorders or whatever, those we talk away and, and we can kind of wash them out of our minds. But we think about people who are having hallucinations and think automatically they must, there must be sin in their life or they must have done something wrong or God is punishing them or God is punishing their family by letting those people live there. He's not. We need to find in those people and those families something about those children and those adults and the, even the senior adults. I mean, even my old folks that I'm taking care of right now, they drive me crazy. 
I spent one evening last week, Tuesday, running from the front door to the back door, locking the door with my body so they weren't getting out because they know how to unlock the locks. And they all, they, they both had some place they had to be, but it wasn't home. But they had to be somewhere else and it wasn't there. And that was a bad night for them. It was a night when we had storms and there was a lot of electrical stuff going on in the air and, you know, John forgot who he was. He didn't recognize his wife. He just knew he had to get home. He was home, but he knew he had to get home because this was not the place to be. When there are barometric changes in the air, there are changes in the brain. And they affect the senior citizens, those with Alzheimer's and dementia, in a very negative way. And those are the times when you need to be a little more vigilant with your old folks because that's when strange things are going to begin to happen. Also, you need to watch with your old folks, you need to watch their medications because there are foods that interact with some of the medicines that they're on. If they take the medicine, some of the medicine, with their meals, which is when we tend to give medications to our folks, the food in their stomach causes the medication to be absorbed differently. And so then it doesn't work like it's supposed to. So if you've got people in your household that are taking medications for any of those psychotic issues, don't give it to them with food unless it says right on the bottle, give with food, and it seldom will. As, as far as the MAO inhibitors go, that's the stuff that's blocking things in the brain. Um, I don't want to get clinical because then nobody will pay attention to the rest of <laughs> anything else I say. But, um, and, and it's the same way with, with the kids. And, you know, I don't see a lot of young parents in here, but some of, I can walk down this main sidewalk here every day when the kids are all out there, and I can pick out about 10 kids who probably could be diagnosed with something, whether it's obsessive compulsive, whether it's ADHD, whether it's Asperger's, and a lot of it doesn't develop until Usually autism, they can tell mm, as early as 18 months, but usually doesn't get diagnosed till between three and eight. The Asperger's kids usually takes longer than that to be found out. And the earlier you can get intervention and get help, the better your outcome is going to be with these folks as adults. And what we can do for the people, if we don't have anybody like that in our family, one of the things that Annette told me she wished would have been different would be that the church family would have come to her rescue. Day after day after day with an abusive child with a lot of mental issues beat her down. And if it wouldn't be for her mother and one other sister in one of the churches where they went when Natalie was growing up taking her for a day, she... she Two times she ended up in a hospital herself because she, she was just exhausted. If, if you can spend an afternoon or just a short amount of time with the person who has the disorder so that that family can just be a normal family without having to deal with the disorder for an hour, two hours, four hours, overnight if you can do it. You know, the Bible says the Good Samaritan... We have to help people. You know, it, it, it talks about taking care of the widows and orphans. And even if you're not a widow or an orphan, there are times when you feel like one because everybody else is living their life out there and you're stuck in your house with your child who can't be in public or your mother who can't be in public or your grandmother who can't go out in public and you are stuck right there. If you have somebody in your church fellowship that's in that situation, offer to take a day off for them. Give them a respite care day. That's all they're asking for is a break. And they're asking for a lot of prayers. And they're, if, if you can help financially, a lot of these things, um, with Robbie, for example, he has a lot of therapies that are not covered by insurance. He needs occupational therapy because his balance is bad, his writing was bad. He was going to the occupational therapist to the tune of $150 a 
a session. For a young family with one income, the child needs help, but they had to stop going. If you've got somebody in your fellowship that is in a situation like that, even the old folks, some of the Alzheimer's dementia patients, they get to go to a daycare. You can send them to a daycare for respite, but that daycare is going to cost you $150 to $200 for the day. So if you can't help personally, physically yourself, if you've got some extra pennies put aside, create a fund for that individual in your church family who needs help. Um, there are new things coming up all the time for, for especially, I mean, I tend to focus more on this group of children because that's where I'm at. Um, I'm also realizing that this child of ours is going to be a teenager and a young adult at some point, so I have been doing some work um, trying to learn how to become a special needs life quality coach to help families get connected with the right people, um, to create, find a way for these individuals who have Asperger's and autism to create friendships. It's not that they don't want to be friends. It's not that they want to shut people out. They don't. They crave attention. They crave affection. They crave friendship the same way that you and I do, but they don't know how to communicate to create those friendships. So it's our responsibility to kind of help them learn how to develop a one-on-one -on -one relationship with peers and with other adults. Like Some of these people that I met are in their 30s and 40s. Their parents are in their 60s, 70s. They're not going to be around forever. And those parents are concerned now, what's going to happen to my adult child who has this? He can live on his own. He can buy groceries. He has, a lot of times they have jobs. Um, Paul had a job in an insurance company, I think. Um, they let him go, not because of his disease process, but because they're downsizing. So he's hoping to get a job with a psychiatrist to become a coach for families who have these disorders. And you know, everybody in the Apostolic Christian Church, especially the one in Syracuse, and I don't live there anymore, but I'm going to brag on them anyhow, should be glad you are who you are because you are preaching the truth. And these folks with this disorder who need to have truth only and black and white, Paul is referring all of the people that he coaches find an ACC church because they'll preach the truth there. And that meant more to me to have him say that the church in Syracuse is where he wants to bring his son. He adopted a boy that's 15 years old, or he hasn't adopted him, but he's taken responsibility for him, who's 15 years old, who's much more severely disabled than Paul is because this is the place where he thinks he belongs. Yeah, he is right. He's writing a book. I've got two chapters at my house, but he is writing a book. You all need to buy that book when it's finished, because um, Paul comes from from an ACC family initially. Um, his grandparents came to to Syracuse to church. His dad even came, but then they moved somewhere else, and he married a uh, a therapist, <laughs> a nice lady. Uh, and when Paul was twelve and crazy as you know, not knowing what was going on. His parents didn't know, and they just sat him down and said, we know you're really different, and we'll support you however we can, but we don't know what's wrong with you. Now, in this day and age, we can find out what's wrong. We can find out what's wrong when he's three years old, and we can start working with him at three so that as an adult, he's going to be able to function in society. Right. You cannot discipline you cannot discipline a child who has autism spectrum disorder, whether it's actual autism or whether it's just somewhere on the spectrum and there's four or five different diagnoses that go with that. Asperger's being the milder end of it, and then there's mild Asperger's and there's severe Asperger's. Um, the thought processes are the same. 
Um, most of the severely autistic people have low IQs. Most of the Asperger's people are extremely high IQs. Robbie has an IQ of 125, so the school decided he was too smart to give him assistance. It had nothing to do with his smarts. It had everything to do with how does he comprehend what he's hearing. He has to see it. He has to read it. Some of what he hears is not, it's just not processing, right? Most of the time it's what he sees. What he hears, he processes. Yeah, he what he, is it's the other no, way around. No one's right. So, I, I mean, these kids sometimes need a one-on-one -on -one aid in the classroom to make sure they stay. A teacher with 20 kids cannot sit there by Robbie and say, now do the next question. Now do the next question. Robbie would just, if he can't get past the first question, well, the whole rest of the test must be just as bad. If I don't know that one, I'm not going to know question number 20, so I'm not even going to try. And then he did really, really well at the end of the school year in four tests, got every single question right, but still gets marked down for reading because he doesn't read with expression. Oh, <laughs> he, um, after all the bad things that happened to Robbie all year at school, he was failing, 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 living in the principal's office, failing, 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 and then he started to improve with the new medication, the Risperidol has, it's a low dose, it is a heavy duty antipsychotic medicine, but it's a half a milligram total a day. So he gets like a quarter of a milligram in the morning and a quarter at night to keep his blood level even of it. They put like the most improved kids' names in a bag or a box or a something, in a container. And Mr. Llewellyn, the principal, who Robbie is very well familiar with, I mean, I got called one day to come to school because Robbie was in the bathroom and he wouldn't come out and it was time to get on the school bus. And I live near school, so Mr. Llewellyn spent an hour with him in the bathroom and then called me to get him out to get him home. He pulls Robbie's name out of the box at school for a free bicycle. They gave bicycles, two, two away at school, one for the girls and one for the boys, and Robbie won the bicycle which it was like, okay, if anybody at that school deserved a bicycle, it was Robbie, because he struggled and struggled and struggled just to complete a school year. So um, I don't know if this is what you expected this to be. Um, if you have any questions about anything. Katie, you got anything you want to add? The only thing that I would add... <coughs> is that um, I have been approached by some of my peers, you know, to cha well, change his food and do this, don't do the medicine, do something else, you know. Mm -hmm. And I understand, you know, and, and people were coming to me to try to, you know, what do you think happened? Did you eat something when you were pregnant? You know, where did you go somewhere? You know, and it was like, for me, I had to accept this is how God made him. And I look at him. And, and you know, some of the things are difficult to deal with, yes. But there are some things, and I mean, I don't know if they're Asperger characteristics or whatever, but the, because he is so, like, sincere and so sweet and, and honest, and, like, I mean, he's just, I think if, I would not pray it away. I guess that's what I'm saying. I would not ask God to take the Asperger's away from him. Because I don't think he would be the little boy that he is. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, everybody needs to have Asperger's. But I think it contributed to the wonderful child that he is. And, and all of his issues, he has Tourette's, sensory processing dysfunction, obsessive compulsive disorder, Asperger's syndrome, and um, I forgot one. There's five. Yeah. Yeah, there's five. <laughs> but um, all of that, and honestly, Lizzie. Lizzie is the one I struggle with. And she'll be three on So I would not I would not change anything about that. I feel bad that like he struggles, you know, but even he will tell you that that's okay. And uh, we had a conversation 
um, about school one day. It was really hard, and I was listening to a song um, called um, Your Great Name, and uh, I think now the grand season. And I was listening to that song. I said, Ryan, do you know what this song means? I said, just the, saying the name of Jesus can, can do anything. You just say the name of Jesus. And one day he was working on his homework, and he was having trouble. And he just could not. And he was in tears, and he was just, I mean, with like sobbing. And all of a sudden, I hear him through these sobs, you know, in the name of Jesus, just please let me get through this thing. You know, and I hear that, and it just, so I would not change anything about him. I think he's wonderful the way he is, and he's going to have, you know, a tough road, I think, but God has a plan for him. He has a will for him, and I feel like he, God created him as he is for a reason, for a purpose. And so, I'm, you know, accepting that for me was, it took a little while, but I did. It <laughs> a lot of prayer, I did. It took me a while, too, because, you know, I was like, whoa. You know, I know what happens with these kids. I've worked with these kids for a long, long time in the psych hospitals, and I just knew it was going to be bad, and it's not. Yes. One of the things that I think we need to do is instead of just looking at these as disabilities, but you know, God has has given these people not just special needs but special gifts. And if we would if we would be able to sit down and talk, you know, Dad referred last night to being able to sing the hymns of the masters. If we would sit down with some of these masters that wrote these great hymns that we sing, they were not right. No. You know, if we would, if you know, we look at the artwork that was created by the masters, they weren't right either. Right. And 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 you know, we've had some conversations back in Syracuse about people that have had tremendous impact on our church. They weren't right either. We see things. You know, one one brother in particular that made three copies of everything that he, you know, back before there were Xerox machines. You know, and now his granddaughter is saying, you know, I think my grandfather had Asperger's. I'm seeing some of these things, but we only saw what they were able to accomplish. And it is. We need to look forward to what these special needs people will be able to bring us. It is, in some aspects, it is somewhat hereditary, but they're thinking more and more that it's environmental. And I just look at it as God chose that child to be that way. You know, you can't say, you know, there's a lot of mothers up in arms. We are not going to vaccinate our children because the diluent that the vaccine is in is causing other children to have autism. We were very careful about that. And it, right. And, and it, it is, maybe that was true. Mercury uh, poisoning in, in fish is causing autism. Um, you know, kids who eat lead paint, that's going to make them have um, a lot of mental disorders with uh, ADHD, ADD, autism probably. Um, but the mother who, who I met at that autism walk who gave me that bumper sticker is an African-American mother. And her child is severely, severely stricken with autism. And she said, just once we realized that he wasn't looking at any of us, you know, six-month-old baby wasn't responding and smiling and, and whatever, and we knew something was wrong, we just, you know, found out what it was, and we worked with him, and he will, you know, he, he does talk now. He's about six years old, and um, some of them never do talk, but this little boy does, and she's the one who came up with that, the bumper sticker that said, God chose me to be inspired by a special needs child. And we have to look at all of our children with disabilities, uh, with questionable disabilities, even our old folks. They can inspire us, too, in some of the things that they say and some of the behaviors. Brother Alex Trefew has Alzheimer's, but he can be the sweetest, most loving person and come out with something really sweet to say. And you feel like you've been blessed that day by this person with a disability. And you have to not just look at them and say, you know, I can't deal with that. How, I don't know how they deal with that. I can't deal with that. Find out how you can help them deal with it. Because all of us who are able-bodied and able-minded can help these people in some way or another. Whether it's, of course, we all want to pray for all of them. But give them some respite care. Give them some time off. 
give them some money to help their children get the, the help that they need or to help them, you know, uh, afford a daycare for grandpa for a couple of days so that we can go away and just have downtime where we can breathe without listening for is the back door opening. Those are the things that we as, as believers need to do. We need to ask God, where can we help these individuals? And he's going to show you where he wants you to help. He's done that for me. And I'm not finished yet. So, Anybody else? Yeah, uh, one real quick thing. Rob, Rob shared with us um, a video uh, on Temple Brandon. And I don't know how many people have heard of her, but she has a PhD in animal husbandry, um, or is it animal psychology, one or the other. But Temple Grandin very severely has severe Asperger's. Well, it's she, she has Asperger's. She's on the autism spectrum, but between yeah. Asperger's and autism, she's closer to Asperger's. Right. But the, the, the film that was made about her life really helps you get a better sense of what the world as she sees it. And I would really suggest that, you know, if, if, if anybody has uh, any interest in it, take a look at that film. I think it was, it was she has a website, templebrandon.com, and uh, they sell the video on there, but you might even be able to get it in a library. Uh, it gives you a really good sense of, of what it's like to live with that kind of a disorder. And it also helps you appreciate that even though she has this, she has phenomenal insights that most of us can't have because we don't see the world the way that she does. So it's all in how you see things. There's another film, too, about a teacher uh, kid who was really, really bad, and his father left the home because of it, and mother just didn't give up. She took him everywhere, and he got a good education. He was brilliant, as, as it were. Then when he had his master's degree, nobody would hire him because he barked all the time. And you're, whoop, whoop. That was his tick. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing was that the real teacher of whom that film was made became teacher of the year in the state for kindergartners. And what he did was he, he just he dressed goofy because he acted goofy, and these kids just loved him. And he... he, he uh, the very first day, he sat all these little people down, and, and he started to bark, and, no, no, I'm not a dog, I have Tourette's syndrome. And then he explained that to the kids. He made uh, mobile, mobiles, they, they explained that, it was Teacher of the Year, absolutely brilliant. I don't remember the name of it, do you, honey? Paul, Paul has it, actually. Well, I also know of a really brilliant heart surgeon, and she has severe Asperger's. But she is so good at what she does when she gets in the surgeries. There's nobody that can do the surgeries that she does. But she can't, you can't touch her I, unless she's ready to have a panic attack. And then somebody has to hug her really tight and hold her really, really tight because that's the only way it goes away. And then when she can finally breathe again, then the world is good for her again. So everybody has a need that you can fill. You just need to find out where it is and how you can fill it. Yes. I think many times these things lead to a dual diagnosis where these yes. people will fall into some sort of yes. addiction and so on later on in life because they don't get that support. Um, right. And that also brings up the issue of other mental illnesses too, which I think many people are interested in in terms of depression, mm -hmm. uh, psychosis, uh, schizophrenia. Um, I think those are also, you, you concentrated in the area that you, you know well, right. but those are also areas that are very, um, people are very much interested in. I would recommend whoever the part may be, that maybe they consider doing another form like this, uh, but have it in the morning, mm -hmm. so more people would be forced to show up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and, uh, I didn't want to focus too much on those inner, the, the dual diagnosis, but they, they very often come along with that. But I think... For example, as, as a church body, you know, we're supposed to go out and, and to, to reach the people in need. And this is such a huge, vast area where there's such a harvest to help these people. And our church is the one area that we can really strive to meet that need. So I, I, I would wish my people would be aware of this. Kind of going along with that, though. I mean, it doesn't just have to be people outside. There's people inside that are exactly. 
and if we don't talk about it, then we haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about it. Then still have the script. We haven't talked about it. Source of shame. there. And then um, the other thing I wanted to comment about as a teacher, you know, I make snap judgments on kids, and I think, okay, this kid's just bad. But a lot of times we get a list. There's 22 kids, and I don't know anything about them. Yeah. And if we don't get a little bit of a notice, this is his trigger. I am a yeller. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would set Robbie off in, unintentionally. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to get their attention, and so and that's exactly what happened. Well, yeah. but she knew. I mean, yeah. I, I go to the open house. We know how to fight this now. (laughs) You're dealing with people that aren't from your church, and there's um, volunteers. You know, they they go through maybe eight volunteers a day, and they don't know how to deal with it. And I'm not trained in it, so I just think we, as a church, as a as a whole, we have hidden a lot of this because, like you said of shame and of, you know, believing that it was sin and that it was possession or that it was, you know, and a schizophrenic person in a moment, I, I have worked in a situation where we really did have demon possession involved. And that was, now I told you about her, Bobby dear, where the demon recognized me as being a Christian and chased me out of the room or tried to chase me out of the room. And I called Dad, and I, I was all upset. And This was a, a, a multiple personality disorder patient that we had, and she was demon-possessed because she was raised in a witch's coven. So there is that, some of that out there. And, and yeah, it's true, but for the most part, in all of our churches in the United States and Canada, I would venture to say that probably 20% of the church population has some kind of an issue, at least 20%. Probably, I'm being generous. <laughs> but I mean a diagnosable real I mean we can't just say oh that person over there is weird and that's because they have because, <laughs> we can't do that but um, it's 3 o'clock so so was Robbie going forward using Lolita's example of camp so then the best thing that the parent could do would be to make sure that the teachers know yes you know because I don't it's kind know. of hard if you don't want to label them right away no. but to give them the tools to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even told he was having a little trouble today in choir, so I thought, well, tomorrow I'm going to poke my head in a choir and just give I mean, a heads up. If our child had a peanut allergy, right. you make sure the, pe- yeah. the teacher knew not to have That's true. That's true. What's yeah. the difference? I think we need to, on the back of this little thing, we need to say, Hi, I'm Robbie. I have Asperger's and these are my triggers. <laughs> I have been devised to put, give him a card that he could give. Yeah. Wherever he goes, that says, "My name is Robert Bobble. Um, I have Asperger's, and you know, Tourette's, and, you know, whatever. These are my triggers. You know, because should something happen, and he's in a meltdown, and nobody knows what's going on. Okay. That's probably good. Yeah. I, I also think, like this year, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't been four or five years, so I could be way off. But I was really pleasantly surprised to see that they're asking about food allergies now." Um, and that can almost be, you know, focus on what goes on. on. It's not like, a, I'm not a label, but just a box. Yeah. Well, is there something we need to know about your Well, and here's the thing. If we're wearing the labels, the label thing goes away. You know, we, it's only because we're ashamed to write it here that it becomes a shame to someone else. And I've never considered labels. I mean, they would tell me that in school. You don't want to label him, you know, learning disabled because you don't want him thinking he's dumb. In my years, that's not what I think. I think <laughs> I need to get him what he needs to get to be successful in school. I'm not thinking of slapping a label on him. Right. That's not what it means to me. Special education means getting oh, a kid what they need up. to be successful in school. In my 40s, from 40, from 42 to 48 were my the worst years of my life because I was clinically depressed in those years. I had to take medicine. I was taking Prozac. I was taking Effexor. I was crazy. I could have worn it on my badge and said, you know, but you don't do that. This is, we got to stop being afraid of who we are. 
I'm a non-compliant diabetic. I'll stand up here in front of you and say, probably the only reason I still take insulin is because I got to eat a piece of cake. That's sick. Okay? I know how to stop it. I know how to make it go away. Am I doing it? No. You know? But I'm going to help my grandson, and I'm going to help anybody else I can come in contact with. In one way or another, I'm going to take the class on being a special needs life coach, life quality coach, because someday, well, I'll be gone by then, but, you know, someday there's going to be people whose parents are gone, and their brothers and sisters are not around. They've got families. They moved on to their wherever. And they're by themselves. And now what do they do? They sit in their house and they get depressed because they're alone. There's no reason for that. Connie Moore. <laughs> yes? You know, I'm thinking, uh, um, Stephanie and Eric Tubba actually shared a lot last year um, with how helpful it would be if somebody could just hold all the time so that she can use the bathroom in church or something like that. Something exactly. so simple. Exactly. There would be a part of me that would love to help, but I'd actually be a little scared to do it alone. I would, uh, you know, maybe first. But, I mean, maybe to set up, like, a little daycare at church if there were a couple sisters <coughs> to say, just bring the kids off to church because they're familiar with it and there's things yeah. to do there that could occupy them. If you're with somebody else or to bring them into your home. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Don't be afraid. I have to tell you, like I tell Robbie, when he says I'm afraid of something at school today or I... I got a test today, and, and I, I don't know, or, or we have a substitute. I said, the angels are there. You're not by yourself. That's all he needs, because he's black and white, and he believes what I say. So you also have to be careful what you say to these kids, <laughs> because they will take it as gospel. You have to be They can't lie. They're not capable of lying. So you cannot tell them a half-truth. And you, you have to be careful what you tell them because they're going to expect it. And you can't say, don't repeat this, because then he'll be, he was doing something making fart noises. And Sam was laughing and having a good time. We were about to go to Mansfield, and I said, you know, Grandpa does not like this kind of humor, so you can't do that. So we get there, and he says to Sam's dad right away, I was making fart noises, but Mom said you don't like that, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you, know? you can't say, like, don't say that, don't do that. You can't. You know, and... While Robbie's been diagnosed now for a couple of years, I would bet there are children in your churches who are still undiagnosed, who have it. So find out what you can. Look on the Internet. Read about the symptoms. There's five groups of symptoms, and they only have to have one from each of three to be diagnosed. We're not going to say labeled anymore. We're going to say diagnosed. Labeling is is from the 60s and 70s when everybody was ashamed not to be the same as everybody else. That's communism, you know? <laughs> Mao Zedong dressed you all alike and gave you all the same first name. That's not America. You know, we're all different. We all have our little things. Label means this is what I am forever. Right. And that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. See? These kids with these problems, God has a reason for them. Like Katie said, God, has, God even has a reason for Luke to be here. And that's for him or Stephanie to be an inspiration to someone else. God is perfect. These children who, are, who we think are imperfect are perfect in their own way. So that's it.